And now, it's time for a Star Trek story. Well, here we are. Star Trek Stories, episode 10. We yes. finally made it to the double digits, Aaron. We're here. I know, right? It feels like most of a season. Most of a season. That's cool. Yeah. Wow. Um, episode 10, the Enterprise incident. Aaron, how the hell are you today? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm amazed that we've kept it going this long. Usually when we start something creative, traditionally, we kind of fall off after like three or four episodes or whatever. But yeah, this is a... They, fal- going, they faltered. But not today. I feel like this is a good sign. We're, yeah. st- we're still plugging along. Um, we only have a few episodes left in our look at classic Star Trek for phase one. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of getting down to it. Um, yeah. We're into season three of the OG. Yep. We're right in the middle of season three, the infamous season three, um, and the ratings are falling and falling. And Shatner's head is getting bigger and bigger. Last time we watched Elan of Troyes, which oh. I... <laughs> what an episode it was. I think we found it... I think we all agreed that it was entertaining, but it was terrible. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> like a, a really bad Sam Raimi zombie movie or something like that, like... Mm, like entertaining in the worst way. Yeah. This is Evil Dead Part One. Just <laughs> terrible, but wow, so good. Um, fortunately, today we're watching one of the few from season three that's considered to be genuinely good. And I think by some, this one is considered a classic in its own right. So, yeah, hopefully we get that going for us today. Um, but, but before we get to the episode in question today, um, of course, we have a yet another guest with us here today. Aaron, who do we have in the captain's chair today? Oh, we have a, a special guest, I would say. One of our, our oldest friends from the college days, Mr. Scott Tuckfield. Scott, how are you? Uh, hi, guys. I'm great. Oh, it's so, for, I'm for so having me. I'm so glad you said yes to this. I'm, I'm delighted. Like I said uh, to you earlier, this is pretty much exactly how I would spend a uh, Leisurely Sunday evening, anyway. Hanging out with you guys, watching some Star Trek, chatting. Yeah, so we go back to college, university. Um, I don't think we ever lived together. No. No. No, we didn't. But we definitely spent a lot of time together. Uh, Yeah, we might as well have for a while there. Yeah. We're all kind of just hanging out in the same house and the same building of the college 24 hours a day. I think Scott's one of the few that actually graduated, right? You. <laughs> I did. I did actually graduate, yes. You finished the thing. That's I awesome. Finished. It's. It was awesome. I'm glad I did. It was because my money ran out. I had a scholarship that was good for four years, so I was like, I gotta, I gotta get it done. Um, but I also kind of regret it like i wish i could have hung around another year or two oh interesting like it was just so fun it was it was so fun some of my very favorite people in the universe were there and uh we just had a really special time there very creative very productive we got a lot of good work done and so yeah it was it was hard to leave it was it was a peak for sure, like you said, creatively. And yeah. that, that group of people was just stellar. It was awesome. We were lucky. The fun thing with you, Scott, in our college days, I think 
and just you know, in my current friend roster, I would say you filled this spot of being a true Renaissance man. And it's not a term I would throw around lightly. There are very talented people out there that I know, like some of the most talented people I know are my friends. But you occupy, I think, this very unique spot of a Renaissance man in the sense that you got your degree in performing arts, like acting, directing. Um, But you also did writing. And probably most famously, you do art as well as music. Just kind of just do the whole spectrum of the whole thing. Not just music, but like multiple instruments, like whatever you you choose to pick up, you just go for it and you, you, you're proficient at it. It's pretty incredible. All the things that you're, that you're good at, would you pick a couple or one thing that you'd say you're, you're great at or you're better than good at? I think in the, I think at this point, painting is on top. I've put the most effort into my painting in the last 10 years of all of my, all of my various interests. Um, and, Beyond that, like, it's all just kind of a toss-up, I think. I like playing the drums, but I wouldn't say I'm a particularly great drummer. I uh, I like writing songs and recording songs, but I also I couldn't claim to be, like, a great music producer. Um, I love acting, and it's, it's all kind of the same thing where it's like, oh, yeah, I could... I could, like, enter any of these worlds and be functional and have a good time, but at this point, I think painting is the only thing I can stand behind and say, like, yeah, I'm kind of a pro at this at this point. Scott, I know you are definitely a Star Trek fan. Yeah. And we've watched episodes over the years. Um, but, like, what's your, what's your, what is your history with Star Trek? I know, I know you, you're a Next Generation fan. You've watched through all that. Um, but just a little briefly, just your history with. Yeah. So I'm mostly a Next Generation guy. I love The Next Generation. I've watched it several times. Um, I remember it's. I have fond memories of like wandering into my parents' bedroom as like a small child and seeing Captain Picard on the screen and being like, I like that guy. I don't know why. Um, and then like in college and after college, we watched The Next Generation in the the party houses all the time. Um, I love it. It was it was. I have very fond memories of of the next generation in particular. I have a passing knowledge of the original uh, series. Not a not an expert. I've seen a handful of episodes, but it's such a different style, and it's I don't think it had quite gotten to its, you know, like the intellectual, philosophical, ethical place that it got to in Next Generation. So to have gotten deep into next generation and then go back to the original series. I'm always a little bit like, this is fun. This is cool to see like the proto version of it, but I don't connect with it quite as strongly as I do with, with Picard. Sure. I mean, screw. how could you, you know, how could, if you didn't grow up with it and if you weren't there in the sixties for it originally, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's so charming in its yeah. way, but it's just not as refined. Mm. Yeah, again, we've talked about this before, but like this idea that for those who, I mean, everyone has their own opinions, of course. Um, But this idea that, you know, Star Trek died with the original crew and everything, I'm like, "Mm, I personally love them. They are my personal favorite. A lot of that is nostalgia, and I'll 
blindly honest about it. I wouldn't say it's Star Trek at its best or that they never improved upon it after that. That's insane to me. It'd be crazy to say something like that. Yeah. Um, But speaking of the original show, that's what we're here to watch today. I'm glad because it's something that I'll be less familiar with. If we watched one of those TNG episodes, I'd be like, okay, we can just fast. Like, I I know. (laughs) I know this. Go on. Let's just talk about it. So this will be fun for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, this, I think this will be a fun one. I'll be curious to see as to what we all have to think about it. Um, today we're watching the enterprise incident. Um, this aired September 7th, 1968. Classic. Um, this was the fourth episode produced for season three. So this is still an early one from the season. Um, like we said earlier, there are a few from this season that are considered to be good, if even a classic. Um, I don't know if this would make everyone's top 10 of the original Star Trek, for some certainly. Um, so that's probably going to be the main thing we're going to be looking at and considering with this one. Does, does this one really feel like a classic or does this one have a reputation maybe bolstered by it being a season, like a good season three episode, like it's good by association to all this bad around it. Or is this a genuine classic? Um, the other big thing with this one is that this one is probably the first one on our list that goes into some romance territory. Um, we not, have to, not just kissy wissy, but like real. Yeah. There's a lot of the Kirk, you know, Mac dadding with the, the ladies though. I don't think we've seen too much of that yet no. on the show. I think that does get a little overblown Kirk's. I mean, it's there, but a little bit, but yeah. And we haven't seen it so much in the episodes we've chosen. Right. I think sure. sometimes there's probably like a pop culture perception that in every episode, Kirk is sleeping with some green Orion slave girl. I'm like, no, that's not the case, but he does, but it does happen a lot. <laughs> yeah, his- three <laughs> At least five. Imagine the like biological disaster. (laughs) How does this work? Like thinking about Kirk's progeny, toads in in Australia. Like the (laughs) what sort of microbes are (laughs) he loosing upon the universe? Oh god! Oh god! Yeah, slowly creating a biological plague over time yeah like we know that time travel exists in this star trek universe and you're setting down on these primitive planets and just like shooting phasers and stepping on plants and bugs and whatever yeah who knows what you're fucking up prime directive hadn't been figured out yet no it was still in the works they yeah. didn't give a i think yeah. i feel like kirk's enterprise is the main reason the prime directive exists <laughs> we have got to put some rules down <laughs> we mitigate the damage like kirk has done no but fortunately the galaxy is a big place and we can stop doing the things that he's done says, just wipe those planets clean it's the only way now glass them <laughs> <laughs> Jim Starfleet Command here. Hey, I've been recent reading your recent log entries and wow, wild stuff. We we love the exploratory spirit. Got a few things we got to talk about though, uh, Jim. <laughs> we need you to get a full spread of photon torpedoes down to that planet immediately. Um, yeah, um, yeah. So there is a bit of romance in this, and like we said, Star Trek does have a bit of this genre hopping thing, and I think this is yeah one of the first notable instances on our list. So 
maybe that'll be something we look at too is um, how does Star Trek do romance, at, at least in this one? Um, yeah, so we'll be looking at a, a couple of those. Um, this is your invitation to sit down and queue up the episode with us. Um, you can find all the episodes on Paramount+. Plus. Um, bring up the Star Trek, the original series, season three, episode two. And we will be back after we watch the Enterprise incident. that very soon we will learn to penetrate the cloaking device you stole. Obviously. Military secrets are the most fleeting of all. I hope that you and I exchanged something more permanent. your choice it was the only choice possible you would not respect any other it will be our secret Speaking of Lord of the Rings, um, let's let's talk about some Star Trek. Star Trek, my God! <laughs> <laughs> Seamless. <laughs> <laughs> my goodness, the Enterprise incident. Oh man, what an episode! Yeah, um, that's becoming one of the running gags of the show. I think is we just we have terrible segues and terrible intros and exits. We just don't know how to say hello, goodbye, or go between anything one thing to <laughs> at all you know folks were really meat and potatoes people and and 10 episodes in we haven't even talked about it a solution for it or anything no, we're just gonna roll with it just roll with it um scott initial thoughts 
The Enterprise Incident. The Enterprise Incident. Um, it's quite the gambit. Like, as we... Uh, I assume we're all together now, listeners. We, we've all seen the episode. I don't need to prevent... Okay, okay. So, yeah, the Federation sends... Uh, Sends the team on an extremely risky mission. <laughs> and it doesn't even seem like the crew knows what's going on. They're, they're keeping things locked up. It, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of questionable decisions got made in this, <laughs> in this episode. Um, but uh, otherwise, I loved it. I thought it was... It was like a perfect slice of the original series. I think it was just like, yeah, that's that's kind of the essence of it. The the wacky orchestra stings, the over the top like takes of of shocked reactions and zoom ins, and it, it's just delightful. <laughs> Very delightful indeed, Aaron. Oh, it was super fun. Uh, I would I would agree that it's a classic episode. I don't know if it would be among my favorite Star Trek episodes or a top ten, like you said. But it's it's good sci-fi. It's good Star Trek. It's it's got some great performances in there. Uh, the visuals are awesome. Like all the ships, seeing like the two Klingon battle cruisers and like right up next to the Enterprise and all that. It's really cool to see, especially with the remastered. Um, but yeah, lots of positives to take away from this one as mm. opposed to last week. That was just a mess. A mess. Right. Um, I think this is one of those ones that's like, is this going to win any awards? But is this just a wild, wacky time to, to sit down and have fun with Star Trek? You know, sometimes you're not always looking for like the most philosophical nugget to chew on. And even though Next Generation is the one that gets really philosophical, the original show definitely has its share of kind of questions it mulls over. But there is a lot of just wacky, wild space adventures. And and while that for me isn't necessarily the biggest draw for Star Trek, can it be a lot of fun to watch? Yeah. that's my. I think that's my biggest takeaway from this one. <laughs> Um, I could watch this one a thousand times. I feel like I can always have a fun time with it. They do the the mental battles between captains in this show really well. Mm, like, like the chess, yeah, the chess game between captains. Kirk going up against Captain of the Week is is always a really good episode. I feel like. Mm. Um. Oh, I guess on that note, I can get into, I guess the a plot of this. Um. Captain Kirk versus the Romulans. This whole big, crazy, like you said, gambit, Scott. Well, I mean, yeah, it's like it's it's interesting for me to see as as like I said earlier, I'm a next generation guy, and you know, this whole episode is based around this like sneaky gambit for Captain Kirk to steal this device off of a Romulan ship. That's a pretty ballsy and aggressive move for the Federation. Um, it's not like, I guess it was just not one that I would expect the Federation to make. It's to be like, oh yeah, we're going to, 
you know, would pull this deceptive ruse and then, like, snatch something from their ship and run away. Uh, I was like, whoa, that's kind of sneaky. A little bit desperate. A little desperate, which, I mean, I guess in the context, you know, times are are hard. Mm -hmm. You got to keep up with the Romulans. You got to steal their their cloaking bulb. (laughs) (laughs) It is nice that it's just one little modular piece oh, yeah, that you, you can just, just pick up and take with you it just slides it just clicks out <laughs> and we were, oh my god I, I can't help but laugh you have less than 15 minutes to install this alien cloaking device that apparently draws all the energy from your entire ship you're not even sure if you can handle it yeah that little thing just plug it in it's a big it's a big bulb you just pull it in the slot and put it in our slot it should work right I mean, it doesn't trying. matter that it was created by a civilization how many light years <laughs> away from ours on a different evolutionary track. No, it'll just plug in. We'll just plug it into the slot. Yeah, when you get to you a certain point. You have 14 minutes now. I'm sure you can make it work. I'm working as fast as I can. <laughs> have you tried unplugging it and plugging it back in? <laughs> blow on the, in the slot. <laughs> just, there you go. Just blow in it. It should work. You know, it I think, worked. That <laughs> did the trick. <laughs> I think this is a good example of Star Trek. Some Star Trek more often than you would like to think does veer into the campy territory. Oh yeah, original series especially. Especially, it's just like the distilled essence of camp. Yes, it's as campy as as camp gets. And that's um, why it's so much fun. Oh, I think Doctor Who gets campier. Oof. At least more low budget. Yeah. <laughs> it's part of the charm of Doctor Who. Yes. Um, you know, Aaron, I think in comparison to last week, because we had a another kind of, last week it was the Klingons, and shenanigans were going on, and like they ended up in like ship battles with the Klingons and everything. And then compared to this episode, this feels like that last one was campy as fuck, mm-hmm. but not in the good in the good sense, just like, oh boy. Yeah, just the way the Klingon <laughs> ship was flying. Yeah. Even though we still had a lot of fun watching it, but we were like certainly just laughing at it. Just, right. oh man. Not this, with it. This I feel like is definitely more, I mean, there is a still a bit of laughing at it, but this is when they get the camp right and it just works for what they're doing and it's just the heightened drama of it all. And It is extremely dramatic and mm. theatrical. Lots of big eyebrows raising and zoom ins and I love when Captain Kirk, not William Shatner, but when Kirk gets to put on a character or mm. a caricature of himself, it's always hysterical. In this case, overworked, insane Kirk. Yeah. His little gamut at the beginning. Kill you. Okay. Um, it's almost hilarious that they don't pick up that this is some kind of scam. Yeah. It, it, it almost feels so telegraphed that it's like, clearly they're up to something here. It's, it's like, you go with it. You go with it because it's, it's what the episode needs you to do, but it's such a ridiculously bad plan. (laughs) It's, if 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 your goal was deception and espionage, then good. But shouldn't everybody on the ship be like, "Hey, this is 
you know, we're we're about to go into this dangerous situation, and we need you to. This is the story we're sticking to. No, he just goes. <laughs> he just yeah. hits the throttle and is like, "Oh, oh, we're there. <laughs> oh, we're and we're there already. Like, what's?" As what's soon as they change course, like instantly, like three ships around him. So funny. <laughs> Changing like, course, Captain. We're surrounded by three Robin warships. <laughs> <laughs> It's all right. Yeah, I've got like, a plan. It's. It seems that the success of the plan really depended on the captain falling in love with Spock, and that's a big gamble. Like that's a like that's how, a steep gamble for any sensible captain or Federation admiral to, to make. Totally. Yeah. Did they know? They couldn't have known what captain they were about to come up against. So that was just like a happy accident that the romance even occurred. Right. Right. Just how, oh, this is a happy coincidence. So what was the plan if this didn't happen? We don't know. Spock, don't know. Spock was Grab just going to go in. Beam the fuck out. Spock's <laughs> like, I've been taking improv classes. I can do this. I'm in the moment. <laughs> yes, and Captain. <laughs> <laughs> um, it kind of worked out really well for Spock. Yeah, Spock. Spock gets a little, little ego stroke. He's mm-hmm. like, Wayne, I got, I still mm-hmm. got it. Gets to just zoom off into the sunset. You get to see a completely different side of his character. Like, I don't think they've they've gone to his human side before, but you've never really seen like how how manipulative he could be potentially. Like, if he he bends those mind powers to it, that goal. He's yeah, because he's he's pulling a full on deception. Yeah, which. He's deep whole, undercover. Yeah, Vulcan lying thing. I yeah. don't know. That's you know that's kind of what's one of the interesting things is comparing the the two people who know what's going on are Kirk and Spock, and if you compare William Shatner's performance as Kirk in this, it's just wild and over the top, which like the plan feels like. But then Leonard Nimoy as Spock just grounds the whole thing, and like he, he if there is any believability in any of this. It's him as Spock in this episode. Like, oh, like every scene with him, it's like, oh, yep, I, I believe it. Where Shannon is like, oh, okay, <laughs> putting on this wild show for everybody. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I always, you always have to love that very still, focused, centered energy that that Spock and the Vulcanism uh, brings to the table. That's a lot of grounding energy. Yeah. Shatner did a good job of, of switching back to his cool, calm, collected Kirk in the second half of the episode. Sure. Like, just back to business, you know? While in Robin Little Makeup. Yeah. I, we've got to talk about the colors. The, uh, the Romulan sense of interior design is, is really festive. Like, it is... Bright, like I'm seeing bright neon pinks, uh, bright reds, lime greens, uh, just flowers. It's you'd expect the Romulans to be kind of a cold and sterile metallic, but no, they're just they're flashy, gaudy, Mm -hmm. spectacular. I kind of I had that thought earlier. Before we watch the episode, is like the Romulans in the new stuff. They're all just black and dreary and 
you know, like jet black jumpsuits and gothic looking and whatever. Like, no, none of that that you see in this OG no, show. I, I don't feel like it was an intentional character development choice for the Romulans. I felt like they were trying to make it look like a spaceship mm-hmm. in the future. And they're like, let's make it pink. I don't know. It's a. Uh, well, you know, I think some of this comes in actually into the scene where it struck me the most is when they're in the Romulan commander's quarters, her and Spock. Her love lounge. Her love lounge. And I was looking at the color scheme. I'm like, passion fruit. Yeah. That's what it, there's a, there was a little bit of orange, but then there was kind of like a spectrum of like red to pink. I'm like, oh, it's like passion fruit. And that's kind of, I feel like the lighting on the Romulan ship specifically is maybe trying to speak to the whole thing with the Romulan commander and Spock on a thematic level. That's my guess. Totally. Yeah, she's kind of a... I mean, we we joked while we were watching about the sneaky snake music, the hypnotic, seductive, entrancing uh, power that the Romulan... And it, it kind of speaks to that where it's like, oh, she's the, the colorful, dangerous, poisonous reptile that can hypnotize you. And the, her, yeah. her lair is colorful and uh, as well. There's the, the theatrical roots, too. Like the classic lighting design of, of using jewel tones like purples and greens to show your villains. You know what I mean? And that shows up a lot with the Romulans and the Klingons. Yeah, the colors. Mm-hmm. Um, like Lex Luthor, he's always in bright purple and green. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's 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 a very pronounced effect. It's not subtle at all. And very much in contrast to what we see later, it is very interesting. Um, all this stuff with Spock and the Commander. I feel like this is like I guess like the B plot, like the other kind of story going underneath all this um how do we feel it feels like there is this really campy episode going on but then underneath it there is this kind of like they're speaking to the romance and this kind of passion between the two and that stuff feels a little more genuine every time it's doing some of that stuff um it's a really interesting contrast i i have a I'm not sure because I'll I'll be honest. It felt a little felt a little put on to me. Mm. Felt like kind of like the orchestra stings. It was very like oh Spock, like yeah. you and your <laughs> sensuous shoulders, and it's, it's all it is all very like flamboyant and and feathery and um. And since we know, like, it's all sort of based on this ruse, I never really felt much, like, actual crackling of chemistry between them. I kind of felt like everyone was was putting on a show for their own, uh, from their own perspectives. Mm. So I, I don't know if we got in much into, like, much emotional vulnerability um, with sp- with Sp- I mean, Spock's always like a stone cold right. mofo, you know, he's, even when he, we get to see what we think is a little bit of vulnerability, but might just be him playing the part and in, in this episode, he's still just like stoic and 
barely making an expression. You can't, you know, you, you never get too close. He never opens up too much. I was going to say, I think maybe the grounded part of it comes from, it looks like, and kind of feels like the actors relished this, these lines and these moments that they got to portray. Maybe especially Leonard, who always has to be so calm and collected, logical. Mm. Uh, he got to play a little bit. So maybe that's where that's coming from. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, I think I agree, Scott, but more in the sense of, because for me, the chemistry of the two actors does come across, but it's the writing behind it does give me question though. Um, yeah, yeah, that's because I think the, I think the two of them work really well together and I think they play off each other really well and they make it really fun to watch. Um, but when I think if you just stop and think about what's really going on here, it's kind of when some of it falls apart. Yeah. It's, it, it like, it, it doesn't actually make that much sense in this situation of espionage, trying to steal a piece of technology to be kind of, you know, having some flirtatious back and forth. I, I I kind of disagree with what I'm saying as I say it because he's got to he's got to play it cool he's got to put on the face he's got to he's got to be undercover and if that means you know seducing the captain and being a little bit more human and pretending to be more emotional than or actually being more emotional you know when I don't know that we can really be sure. Uh, yeah, it's like he says he he has to be honest. He can't lie. And I'm like, what if? And he does say at the end, when I came aboard the ship, you know, my goal was just the cloaking device. But like, kind of insinuating that after though, yeah, there was some real stuff. And it's like, is he just is he is he lying, or is he actually dropping his guard? Like, to be honest in the situation, he's not speaking to the actual mission of the Enterprise, but he drops his emotional guard, and that's, that's what he does, and which is genuine. He's like, I do, actually. There is kind of, you're, you're sexy, and wow. And, yeah. um, I think, you know, for me, the Romulan commander, though, is sometimes where I have the questions. It's like, but you honestly didn't see through any of this? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's ludicrous. <laughs> it's absolutely ludicrous. He just was able to unplug the bulb. <laughs> <laughs> they left him like his eyebrows and ears and he was like and he was in. Everyone was fooled. He unplugged the bulb and beamed out. <laughs> That's you couldn't get away with that on a Romulan starship. Come on, that's like not in the twenty fourth century. Not they, they they said he fooled the doctors with the death grip. That's that's how I I've, I've got to ask some questions about that. Like so, by all physiological measures, he was dead for <laughs> several minutes. Right? Is that uh, what that means? I think that's what that means. I think it means that Kirk also trusts McCoy that much to bring him back. Yeah, and that he trusts Spock to just 
apply enough pressure to kill him for five mm-hmm. minutes, but be able to be That's so much to be revived. It was like a, a Rube Goldberg machine. Like so much had to go right for this <laughs> exactly. plan to succeed. <laughs> a random chance had to fall into place. Like hopefully he'll be we'll be able to pick you up after after he death grips you. Mm-hmm. We're just trusting that they'll believe you. And that the Romulans won't question anything. Like, okay, I always think of that. We'll just leave the body with you and walk away. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? Have you guys seen The Good Place? We're just oh, like, yeah. Okay, no follow-up questions. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's built in a way where it makes for, like, really fun, dramatic moments. But if you look at it too hard, you're like, wait, wait a second. Mm. Like, none of this, none of this would, this is a terrible plan. <laughs> if if <laughs> anything, the rest of the bridge crew is that. They fulfill that role. They're like, what is going on? What, why what would the, you do this? What are you, yes, what are you doing and why? But it's one thing to consider is that in this episode, we witness a, a historical moment for the Federation, the acquisition of cloaking technology. That's huge. And it was this like slapstick uh, burglar routine by Captain Kirk. This wild heist episode is almost what this is, but just the most outrageous heist you could imagine. This is going to work how? We don't know. Or just Captain Kirk's going to have to talk his way out of it at every turn. And we think it'll work. We've seen him talk his way out of some serious shit in the past. So I think as the Federation, we can trust this. <laughs> as just, writers. Just drive straight into the neutral zone. This is how the first step of the plan. Just drive straight in. Just get surrounded. I feel like the idea is good. Like, we want an episode where... Kirk and gang go in to steal the cloaking device from the Romulans. I feel like that's a solid concept. But then the journey that we actually take to get to the end of the episode is, yeah, it's insane. It's silly. And, and Star Trek does that a lot. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, and so much of it is built around this idea that we as the audience don't know what Kirk is actually doing. Like, we're not sure if he's actually just lost his marbles and we know he hasn't. It's... It's Captain Kirk. Like he's not, he's not dying. They're not killing him off in this in the middle of season three, episode two. (laughs) We know that much. I think he'll be okay. Um, (laughs) but it's like I feel like it could have it could have gained some more mileage if we just knew what the goal was, and you had to sort of navigate the obstacles. Mm. Like, oh, there's some there's some guard ships we have to get past, or there's some. But instead, it kind of splits its focus, and it's like, oh, it's this ironic mystery where the audience isn't doesn't really know what's going on until you know two thirds of the way through, and this heist, and so the it, the whole thing ends up being just kind of a more of an exercise in writing than it than like a believable scenario in the evolution of the Galactic Federation. Yes. Um. I guess we should talk about the writer of this. Um, this is our third episode written by DC Fontana. Yeah. She had previously written Friday's Child, 
which we were like, Ugh. and Journey to Babel, which we were positive on. Um, I guess the inspiration from this came from the Pueblo incident. Um, and this involved the capture of an American patrol boat, the USS Pueblo, by North Korean forces. Um, this kind of like naval intelligence ship that the North Koreans captured. So it was based on a very topical thing of that happened that year, 1968. So it was a thing that was very topical to that year. And she got the idea to like, what if we did something like that? But and so I think that speaks to like that the concept, it's a fun concept. Do you know what happened with the, uh, the American ship that got captured? Were there, what did they intentionally get captured? No, I think this was an unintentional capture. And I, I don't know a lot about this incident. I think it was a, a, a situation where the North Koreans actually captured it in international waters and then claimed a big victory for themselves. Gotcha. Um, I don't really know. I couldn't speak to much more than that, though. But how did the ship get caught with their pants down? That's what I'm curious about. You know what I mean? They, they actually got captured and taken by yeah. forces instead of sunk. That's, that's fascinating. Yeah, it also makes you think, like, to us, we can see this as a script written for a television show and be like, oh, that doesn't, that wouldn't work. But crazy shit like this has happened over and over in, in history where, you know, wild gambits have paid off. And, you know, the choices of a few little, few individual people, you know, made huge consequences for, for the masses. And so maybe it's, maybe it's not quite so far-fetched after all. Maybe they, yeah, hmm. that's my thought. Hmm. Yeah, maybe it was something like that. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, there was a forbidden romance between the, the commander of the North Korean ship and the captain of the, the USS yeah. Playboy. We can believe that. We capture them, but oh, I'm just so in love with you. Oh no, I've just let this situation get completely out of my control. My feelings. Uh, there's a, there's some incredible fight scenes in this episode. Um, some real incredible fight choreography. Um, I loved the Vulcan death grip, the little chicken arm over the face, wow. and. The rictus of pain is uh, the. There's some kicks. Some Captain Kirk does some serious kicking. Some neck some chops. Guys out. Neck chops are always a, a reliable go-to for knocking a guy out. One or two phaser parries, like when they draw and they go to aim, and the guy's like, no, "Yeah, you're not aiming not at my face today." And then you and catch then you him with the left cross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That whole sequence when Kirk kind of. Um, sweet talk slash judo chops a few Romulan guards on his way to the <laughs> oh centurion I've just effected an escape from the federation ship um, return to your station okay <laughs> oh I'm just checking on the cloaking device just to make sure there's no federation spy like myself um, walking about what was that <laughs> Good thing I'll, there's no one watching this room for three minutes while I unplug the bulb. Yeah, that, like one it's guard. it's the <laughs> most valuable piece on the whole ship. One or two guys are kind of loosely guarding it, and not even just like, "Hey, who are you?" Oh, okay. 
you still seem a little fishy. Oh, <laughs> hubris on the Romulans' part. Like, there's no way they're going to sneak aboard and steal this. No way. No way. I know it's a, it's a, you can't really get over it with, uh, and make a TV show at the same time, but it always kind of makes me chuckle that Captain Kirk or any of these guys can beam onto a Romulan starship and just talk to the, just speak English. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I know, or I know how to speak Romulan well enough that y- you are fooled. <laughs> It's, it's just yeah, universal yeah, there's just translator. A lot of conventions right. that are really, are really charming. Like, yeah. does the silly does the translator like change the movement of your mouth too? Yeah, like, no, matches so the lip movements. Right, it's the universal translator. Mm-hmm. Or is it like a really bad dub? Like Captain's <laughs> mouth keeps moving after the <laughs> Romulan sentence is ended. You're not actually. What, what? <laughs> hey, that would be. Distressing to see when you're not expecting it. Mm-hmm. Somebody's mouth just kind of moving out of sync. Scary. That's, I feel like that's coming augmented reality wise in the next 20 years or so. Yeah. Like with the Google Translate tech and all that stuff. But that like a, would be like nice. a brain implant though. Mm. This is kind of like, we're going to put that in your ear and now you can just kind of see and hear and it all just sounds like what you think it should sound like. <laughs> that's, that'd be kind of nice. To, to like remove language barriers and go anywhere you could just talk to people yeah that would be cool it would also be kind of sad it's pretty magical to not be able to talk to people that is true too there's something about going and getting totally lost in a language and in a place that you don't know or understand yeah yeah I wonder what the Romulan language would sound like jorun jorun like that. Yeah. You na- I think you got it. <laughs> First try and everything. First try. Um, you know, we've had a lot of Klingon episodes up to this point, and this is the first time I think we've seen the Romulans since the first time we saw them. Yeah, with that great episode. Balance of Terror. Mm-hmm. Um, which is almost the opposite, because that one is them in, in doing an incursion on Federation space, and this one is clearly the Federation doing an incursion in Romulan space. Um very aggressive. Uh, very aggressive. They just go in there and do it. Um, you know, and I think up to this point, Aaron, as far as everything we watched, I think the Romulans are right now 100% more, at least entertaining and interesting yeah. than, than the Klingons are at this point. They're like the the big bad of, of the OG show. The Klingons are there, and the Klingons end up becoming this huge cultural part of the show that everybody knows, but the Romulans are... Our number one. They feel like a little bit of a bigger deal. Mm-hmm. And just in general, even when something as campy as this, they do feel like really fun villains. Somehow I think the whole Roman thing, it's as silly as it is, it kind of works. This, you know, the Federation is this, you know, altruistic organization. And the Romans are that kind of vestige of, like we talked about before, it's like, the Federation is almost like an idealized idea of the United States. Um, Whereas like, and one of their big adversaries is the, this space version of the Roman empire, which feels like, uh, like a precursor that, you know, that gave ideas to the United States. So it's almost like looking at the past as like, this is kind of what we used to be. We're this great empire. Whereas the Federation now is like, oh, we're egalitarian now. And it's kind of, it makes a lot more sense to me that the Roman Empire went to space than like the 
whatever the Klingon Empire is based on went to space. Like, you know. Right. I don't know. Expand or die. Right. That makes a lot of sense for this person you'd run, this alien you'd run into out in space. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Klingons seem a little bit more, at this point, vague. Right. They and just they, kind of, they're showing up just to kind of, in the background, be like, man, take that federation. And they end up... <laughs> right? They kind of feel yeah. like pirates, almost. Swarthy pirates. Swarthy pirates. They end up becoming, like, this great warrior culture in the TNG uh, age. But even then, it's like, how did that how did that race make it to space? How did they yeah, not just completely kill each other off? It's questionable. Mm-hmm. I, I always thought about it as a kid. It's like, how did these guys discover warp drive and stuff? Mm-hmm. But the Romulans, it makes sense. Right. It, it seems like, yep, of course, that we would find these people out in space. Oh, yeah. Ruthless Imperials. Just expand, expand, expand. Just the ultimate imperialist, you know, but also kind of like, they're kind of also xenophobic. They think they are great. To be Rome is to be great. Mm. Like there is this kind of self-importance about it. I don't know if it'd be exactly a racial thing, but it is this idea that you are just part of the superior people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the Federation is kind of more this diverse. It's more of a union. Union thing. These two kind of ideas going head to head. Even so, I think even when the ideas are campy, it's fun to see these kind of, they feel both very like philosophical stand-ins for these kind of ideas, just kind of going bam, 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 you know? Yeah, it's it's rooted in something deeper under the surface that will kind of grow and blossom and become more complex as the decades roll on for Star Trek. But yeah, I loved it. I think it's... Uh, was a fun slice of of what we go back to the original series for. It was over the top. It was a little silly. It it was campy as all hell. <laughs> and there was a lot of uh, seductive raised eyebrows and zoom ins <laughs> and orchestra stings. So I I don't know what you could what more you could ask for. I feel like it it hit all of the it hit all of the marks for the OG series for me. I guess we didn't see any uh, Kirk seduction. No. That yeah, it was, was Spock. Notably absent. Spock stepped up and put on the smolder for the ladies. No redshirt deaths either. Oh, yeah. No redshirt deaths. Some centurion or some. Uh, subordinate Romulan knockouts. Some severely bruised shoulders. Yeah. And egos. <laughs> We're supposed to be three times stronger than these guys. <laughs> Kurt kicked my ass. Didn't see him coming. <laughs> Just kicked me right in the shoulder and I, got, I was unconscious. <laughs> oh, my fatal weakness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know... If we're going back to what we were talking about before the episode, if like I think you you hit it right on the head, Scott. Like just all these disparate elements that when you think of Star Trek the original series, not necessarily at its best or at its worst, but just like yeah, that's when I think of that old '60s Star Trek TV show, something like this yep. comes into my head, and so for 
talking to our thing earlier, this I get idea of like a synthesis of aspects coming together to create. This is kind of what this looks like. Um, again, even if this isn't the most notable version of it, it's like, yep, you can really quickly identify. It's like all the different aspects that make this the it's fun not ride the most that it famous is. Famous example, but it is like a practically a perfect example. It's it has the flavor, it has the style, it has that that charm about it, um, and it, yeah, it's it's a fun it's a fun journey back to to get to take a look at it after you know not seeing any of the older ones for a while. It has a lot of charm about it, for sure. Um, an all time classic. I don't know if I would if I would put it all on that. Uh, I can't honestly vote yes for that. It is one of the episodes of all time. <laughs> it is one of, of the all time of all time. If you're specifically delving into the original show, then I'd be much. I put this much higher on a recommend. Like, oh, that you'll have fun with this. Yeah, yeah, I could see that within an original series. Yeah, this is this is a good one. But Straight if I'm going to recommend all of Star Trek. This is going to be fairly down the list. Yeah, if you're going to like someone who's never seen it, give me five episodes to watch. I don't think I would do this no. one. No, that would, that would just be mean. <laughs> mean. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. You know what this episode is good for is if you had like a a nerdy date, like a first a first date or a first hangout over at your house or something. And you were gonna watch a show. This would be a perfect episode for that. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a deep cut. <laughs> you, you don't, you know, you put on trouble with, with tribbles, and it's like, okay, I've, you know, I, I've, I've encountered that one before. That's one of the greatest hit skim versions. This is like I honestly had never seen this episode before, never once. So, it's, it was a deeper cut for me. It was. It's a good exploration into the the old older series if you haven't gone deep into it. Well, there you go. Um, yeah, certainly not a bad episode, and definitely one just to kind of encapsulate just the whole vibe of that whole show. A good one to kind of do that. Um, awesome. Well, Scott, thank you for coming aboard and watching some Star Trek with yeah, us. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I, I had a lovely evening. Oh, so good to have you. Yeah, my, my pleasure. It's good to see you guys. A very special treat for us, and we hope you will have you back sometime. Please, yeah, let me know. Yeah. I'll clear my calendar. Woo! Woo! Um, well, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, that was our little look at the Enterprise incident. Um, what do we got next week? Next week, we're going to be looking at our final episode of the original 60s show, at least for this phase of the show. Wow. Nice. We're coming to the end of this initial journey that we have started. Ending on 11. That's a good number. Um, yep, episode 11. Um, so we're going to be watching Is There in Truth No Beauty? Is There in Truth no beauty. That's a, it's a mind twister. Um, a title and a half. Twister, yeah. Got to ponder that. 
Yeah, this is going to be an interesting one to kind of leave off on. Like, this is when the show was kind of going downhill and they were really trying to just do something interesting. And this is one of those ones that's an interesting, oh boy. Like, and it, it, it's hard to describe. Great. Can't wait for it. <laughs> so, yeah, will we end on a high note, a low note, a who the hell knows what this is even about note? Hopefully, it'll give us a lot to talk about. You know, content is always nice. For sure. Um, all right. So, we hope to see you then for Is There in Truth No Beauty? And we hope you haven't an answered that a question if the episode doesn't come up with it itself. And we hope you have a super day, too. Yeah. A super, super day. Um, well, as always, I'm, I'm Darren Hatch. I'm Aaron Cole. Hey, I'm Scott Tuckfield. <laughs> and you just listened to a Star Trek story. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to share your own Star Trek story or give us a hot take on the episode we just watched, you can join the conversation by visiting our Discord server. You can find us by clicking on the link in the show description.